Hey everyone, David here. I want to tell you about my music podcast, On Rotation. It's engaging, interactive, and insightful. Music mm-hmm. entwines with everything. It's something that always rings true to me. So when I need something to kind of root me, I can always go back to music in a sense, you know? Yeah. Join me each episode as we rotate through a number of topics and hear why it's the podcast that's always on replay and never on repeat. Listen to On Rotation wherever you get your podcasts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In order to be able to help others make connections with music, you have to be able to really delve into the work yourself. Music can be kind of a gateway to communication. You have to be able to understand what the music can do for you. If you find that one song, that one interest with someone, that opens up a dialogue. I would be surprised to meet someone who didn't have an emotional connection to music. It's my happy place. It really is just that one thing that's solely mine. I'm glad that I have music to rely on. Music just helps everyone. Hey everybody, what's up? What's happening? You're listening to On Rotation, the podcast that's always on replay and never on repeat. Thank you for tuning in today. My name is David. I'll be your host and lovely guide. Carter Reeves has a lot to say about music these days, in case you didn't tell from the little intro. That was a snippet of his song these days that he just put out. So I had a chance to sit down with Carter and really get to know him on a personal level and talk about his career from when he started in a duo up until now and how he's really working on his artistry through everything that life throws at him. Carter, so you've been pretty busy from what I've seen. You just put out a song not too long ago called These Days and you actually, excitingly enough, just announced today that you're also dropping a new song. So what's going on with that? What's going on? Wow, I am appreciative you're recognizing that I am at least trying to give off the intention that I'm working hard. In reality, am I? I don't know. I'll let you be the judge. But um, quarantine hit, right? It's such a weird time for artists. Hey, am I putting out all my music now? Because you've never had so many people on the internet like consuming and watching. Or do I wait to put out my music because this is the thing that I put so much time, love, energy, and money into only to not be able to like tour with it or go promote it or throw a release party or do anything. So it's kind of just like stuck in this kind of catch 22 of not knowing the right way to release music in a pandemic. But I think that the upside to that was that it gave me a ton of time to work on music and compile music and kind of just be in like studio mode without that kind of pressure to consistently be releasing. Long story short, had an incredible summer last summer shooting music videos and photo content and all this stuff with with two good friends of mine and we just kind of like stockpiled this massive vault of stuff and by Mm -hmm. massive vault I mean like six songs but still so yeah man we're at this like calendar now where I'm just gonna drop a song a month until about June and I think even after June I'll have a bunch more music then too but um I think it's cool. I'm finally hitting that kind of like momentum and that just consistent content and everything that that I think is really important and, and certainly helps to 
give the illusion that you're busy but even besides that it, it definitely gives people reminders constantly that like you're working for this and that this isn't just that thanksgiving dinner you know my aunt says oh you're still working on that music thing <laughs> it's like listen auntie like once a month i'm doing this thing yeah, and just talking about your sound real quick, you kind of mentioned how you exhibit a couple different genres. What are some of your musical stylings that you really liked, you know, growing up listening to and like artists that are your influences? It's no secret that I try to stray more on the uplifting, warmer, beachier, sunny vibes. I mean, I grew up listening to, I would say Jack Johnson is someone who was a huge influence when I was growing up. And then for the longest time, I was like, this dude's corny, like screw him. And he is corny, but that's what's beautiful about it is he just like writes sleepy, good music. And I think I've finally come back around to to appreciating him and being inspired by him. But I think what gives my sound a little uniqueness was, you know, maybe in my time when I was neglecting the Jack Johnsons and the Bob Marleys and, you know, the more just shamelessly beachy guys. I went down like a, a pretty big rap route when I was younger. And so I think people like Kid Cudi and Sublime, I would say, even kind of fills that space. You can be super rhythmic with your vocal delivery and you can kind of almost be rapping a verse, but you throw some melody in there and you throw some cool cadences and inflections. And so you can really start to hit something unique. So that's kind of where I hear my music fitting in. But I've been listening to a ton of this band Krongbin lately, which is like this deep funk drum and bass group from Houston mm. and like just trying to broaden my horizons and, and listen back and do a lot of research as well. You kind of mentioned that too with quarantine and whatnot helping you work on your imaging a little bit. Do you think quarantine has helped you with your artistry even more? Definitely. I mean, I think from like a branding image image side of things, my issue is I'm always just like playing catch up because it's like, hey, you've got a song coming out next month you need 30 photos to promote it or like 15 mm. photos to promote it and a little teaser and album art and this and that. And I just feel like, you know, to kind of be able to press pause and like build that up first was really helpful. But from a creative standpoint too, again, it's just kind of like a whole lot less pressure. I felt like, or at least no, no rush really, because I actually spent some of the quarantine back at my parents' house. They live in new England and it was just nice to relax. And I would spend a few hours diving in on the anatomy of a chord progression, which you know, when I'm worried about paying rent back in LA and I'm thinking about running around and doing all this stuff, I may not give myself that freedom, that time to just dive in on something like that. So I think that the pandemic, while it has been creatively awful and obviously awful in tons and tons of ways for a lot of people, I think it also helped to, to give me that freedom to kind of just like go and explore and go down uh, different routes and everything, which certainly been nice. And are you doing most of this on your own, like your promotion, your videos, things like that? I assume you have people that kind of help you with behind the scenes stuff. But from what I've been able to understand from looking you up is that you're kind of a one man show, like in terms of songwriting, producing, all that good stuff. So is this mostly you doing all of it or do you have some help? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm excited to or I'm, I'm happy to hear that that it kind of gives off that vibe. I mean, so I've been self-managed now for about a year which at first I was like terrified of not having a manager. It would be the end of the world and everything would be ruined. But turned out that that's not so bad. All it means is that I'm, I'm definitely the one kind of calling the shots and, and having to organize everything, you know, from the creative side of things all the way to the promotional and, you know, releasing side of things. So yeah, I mean, it would be foolish of me to sit here and say that I do everything. When it comes to the writing and the production, I do do the majority of it. And I definitely am controlling it all. But for certain songs, you know, I will pick a few friends that I want to work on it with, or, 
you know, I have friends who I'm like, oh, I know he would nail this, or I know she could crush that. And we would um, kind of take it from there. And, and the same thing with the visual stuff. I, I have two good friends of mine who I've always trusted with some visual work. And I just looked at them and I said, I have so much music. Let's take these ideas that are mine in my head and let's bounce them off of each other. Let's find the best way to do this. So my process is 100% collaborative, but you're not wrong in, in seeing that it's all kind of runs through the filter of me. And, and I'm definitely the one kind of like organizing it, making it all happen, which helps to give it like a unique touch because I'm literally like touching everything. Yeah, you could say you're the main coordinator. You're just kind of pulling everyone else in. <laughs> yes, exactly. I remember when I was young, I heard that Kanye West, when he was producing, he wouldn't actually produce. He just would call certain producers that he thought would work well together. And then he'd just sit behind the scenes and tell them what was working and what wasn't working. And I remember always thinking he was in such an idiot and an asshole for doing that. Like, what? This guy doesn't even produce his own records? Like, are you crazy? But uh, over time, I've realized how like there's something magical about knowing what pieces need to be put together and who could do the best job for what and then kind of just trying to piece everything together that way. And yeah, going back to your music, I noticed that you've put out a couple of EPs, starting with back in 2017, your first one was called Fresh Fruit. And that was also, I believe, your first single that you put out, at least yeah. that I could find. Sometimes artists mm -hmm. hide shit and you can't find it anywhere. Yes. But um, you've put out a couple of EPs. You have at least, I think, four out now. Is that correct? Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. So your last one you put out in 2019. And from listening to them, it sounds like your style's kind of changed a bit you know, from when you first started and where you're at now. And I think that's normal with anyone's career as an artist, you want to progress and kind of switch it up. Yeah. And how would you say your music has progressed as you've gone on through your career? I think that I've always prided myself in being an eclectic artist, someone who could kind of do everything. But with that being said, you definitely shouldn't do everything if you can do everything. It's not the way it works. <laughs> but I think that there was this long period of time where I needed to try things just to prove it to myself or to not prove it to myself just to show to myself what was comfortable and, and what what was the most genuine and authentic and what made the most sense for me as an artist what makes the most sense. But coming off of I was I was in a pretty successful duo out of Boston growing up called air spelled AER, but we, you know, we had some some pretty big success. So when we split up, I was pretty much like, well, I'm like right here on the cusp of like fame. So all I need to do is like write a couple radio hits and then I'll be there. It's that easy. <laughs> yeah, it's just that easy, you know? So I wrote some kind of like early 2000s, like JT reminiscent R&B style tracks. And they have like a very big, shiny top 40 pop sound to them. And I released them with really clean branding and doing the whole thing and thinking that, okay, that was it. We'll be there. We'll be good. I'll be buying my mom a car by Christmas. Didn't happen. I think that the fans could tell there was this maybe lack of sincerity in the music because it almost sounded, you could almost hear in the music that that was my mindset, mm. my mindset, right? And not to say I don't like music. I love everything I've done, truly. Maybe I would be that guy who took stuff down if I hated it, but I think it's so important to show the process and, and show the story because I think it's so cool that you can listen back to the 2017 music and go, whoa, this is the same guy as the guy who just put this song out. Like, I like that about an artist because I am not this enigmatic, like, put out two songs every four years and then, like, blow the minds of the people. Like, that's not who I am. I, I want you to be able to, you know, follow along with my story and maybe choose an era of Carter Reeves that you like the most. 
So I definitely quickly realized that maybe the super shiny top 40 sound wasn't for me, maybe just yet, or or at least at the time being. And I think it gained a whole lot of new fans, but maybe drove some people away. And then I think I kind of overcompensated a little bit and, and tried to go down a really firm indie route, you know, kind of messy, raw indie route. And I think I'm finally evening my course back into this like really cool place where I think in the time that I've been discovering myself, this sound that I've been trying to make has come to the forefront of like this kind of indie pop sound where it's no longer a shame to have really sticky, cute, catchy lyrics, but with like a unique kind of left field funky production and maybe a little more indie, spacey, groovy record. So I've been trying to like bridge that gap, tell the line of something you could hear on the radio, but not something you could only hear on the radio. I think you described that perfectly earlier. You said kind of being left field, but still not being completely like out there. And to a point where people like almost anyone who appreciates top 40 or just any kind of major pop radio could still listen to your stuff and say, yeah, this is good. Like I can get behind this. And yeah, yeah, like I got all that vibes and energy too from your music, listening to it and saying like, it's like independent where it's like, you're doing your own thing and you're making your own style and brand, but it's in that realm of indie and it's not I like that. also pop, yeah. it's like in the middle. Well, and, and that's exactly the hope. I think what you just said is is spot on. You want someone who only ever listens to Shawn Mendes and the Chainsmokers to, well, Shawn Mendes is dope. I don't know why I lumped him in. But you want top 40 strictly listeners to hear it and go, huh, this is like weird. There's something weird about this, but I really like it. Yeah, exactly. Want, it's weird, but I like it. Yeah. And you want the indie folks to go, all right, this one's catchy, but goddamn, it's so catchy. I love it. Like, it's towing that line, which is definitely tough. I was literally writing a verse before you and I got on and I was just sitting here overthinking it like crazy. Just like, all right, am I trying to be like funny one-liners with some like rap style stuff? It's crazy to be conscious of that balance while writing because you just got to let it come naturally. So I'm pr- I'm going to go clear my mind and then come back to it later because can't force it. You mentioned this kind of earlier too with your music and I saw something in your bio mentioning about you trying to be honest or finally being honest with your music. So that whole transition from being in a duo to trying to put out like those top 40 hits like you mentioned and where you are at now. What is your goal behind that statement of showing your honesty through your music? I mean, you and I touched briefly before we started the podcast on like I grew up in an affluent suburb outside of Boston and I was extremely fortunate and still am fortunate and, you know, not afraid to say it. So I think I always kind of grew up being like, I don't have a story to tell. I don't have some enticing, interesting, compelling autobiography that the world wants to hear. So I've kind of always convinced myself that the writing needs to either be like made up or or it should just be focused on the good times and like, you know, give people just music to party to and, you know, let them feel good. But I think over time, I've realized that regardless of your upbringing, regardless of where you're from, regardless of, you know, the privileges you've had, regardless of whatever it is, the end of the day, base level human emotion can be translated and understood in so many different ways. And I was watching the Amy Winehouse documentary or reading one of her books or whatever, because I love her and read a lot of stuff. But she was a kid and she used to slap all the buzzers on the door. 
outside an apartment building. And then her dad reminded her of that when she was like 15. And so she wrote that down. Like I used to slap all the, every single door buzzer outside of an apartment building. And then you hear it in one of her songs and it's a completely different context. But she was like, I punched all the buzzers just to know that you weren't there or something. She used this little piece of completely unrelated content or verbiage and she repurposed it in a different way that was vivid and totally like understandable to anybody else. So I think I've been trying to do a lot more of that, right? Is package my emotions in a way that doesn't matter what the backstory is. They can just be raw and real, you know, take them as they are. So I've definitely been trying to practice a lot more of that and a lot more of kind of conversational style of writing as well. You know, I love Arctic Monkeys when they put out the album AM. Half of that is just Alex Turner talking. Like he's just (laughs) saying words. Like if you read the lyrics, it almost is like he's having a conversation with no one. And there's something really personal about that too that I've I've been working on as well. So I think it's hugely important to be relatable. And again, it's that balance of you want your own voice and you want your own style, but also you want to connect with people. And I think that's where that honesty that I'm trying to find and portray a little more is, is coming from. A little vulnerability, a little honesty, show people that it's not all sunglasses, slick back hair and like a leather jacket thinking you're hot shit and you, you know, you're celebrity god status it's like no we're all we're all humans totally agreed also love that amy winehouse documentary so great oh so good i mean she was something else from her songwriting to her voice just yeah yeah she was incredible yeah incredible artists incredible inspiration to so many people too i would say and um that aspect of connecting with people have you seen that through your music and through your fans any like instance stood out to you where you felt like you really connected with someone Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I feel like it hasn't been in a while. I think a lot of that is in part to kind of this new project, which isn't so new anymore. But you know, part of it is is that, but a lot of it is not being on the road. And I wasn't really touring much pre pandemic, either. It's been tough to get out on the road and make it make sense financially with the amount of fans who would be buying tickets and, and whatever. But that's where I feel like I make the strongest connection, hands down, is, is, is on the road. For so many reasons, I think, first, it's where I'm most confident in turning a skeptic into a believer. I'll be like, yeah, you may hate me at the beginning, but by the end, I think you'll at least respect me, hopefully. We'll see. Yeah, it's like watch and wait and what I do. Yeah, exactly. But not only that, but it's, it's a physical reminder of why you do this, or at least the effect and the impact you can have. I think the internet is a massive well of information and you're essentially just like throwing shit into this bottomless pit and hoping there's some sort of connection there and I think it's easy to get kind of lost in that and I think where live shows are so important is it's like I'm in St. Louis right now and 400 people are standing right there screaming because they want to see what I have to say and are so excited about being here because of the connection that that clearly has been made. I think that, you know, if we learn anything from all this is like how important live music is, how important live events are, not only for the mental health of the artists themselves, but also because that's genuine connection to me. And so I get a lot of comments, tags and DMs and stuff saying your music changed my life or really helped me through tough times. And like, I am so grateful for that. And I can't even begin to know how how that would feel to have such a strong connection with an artist like that and I'm just grateful that I can be one of them I'm just ready to like give that person a hug you know what I mean and like say what's up like look me in the eye talk to me because that's where that like real bond is built 
Yeah, for sure. I think you'll appreciate this story. So you're obviously a Boston guy. I used to work at House of Blues, very short-lived career, I should say. It was only for wow. like a month, <laughs> literally Let's only go. a month, like last year. I worked like literally right before everything shut down. And the last show that I worked was um, Dustin Lynch, and it was a sold-out show. And I was up like on the mezzanine on the second level, like serving the people I was helping. And I just remember like looking out on the whole stage and like everybody on the floor and just seeing this packed room of fans all at the same time, just singing and like dancing or just doing literally everything Dustin's doing on stage. It brought a tear to my eye. Like I got so like overwhelmed just seeing this room packed with so many people and just everyone just coming together for such a huge moment. And I think one of the things that like I've seen that percolate into real life too with the old group I was with air, like, we get tagged in a photo of two fans from random places of the co- like around the country hanging out together when one of them was like on a road trip or something or whatever it was and they're like getting lunch together and it's just like how did you guys meet well they met at a concert in LA because they were both super fans and they flew out to LA to go and that's where they met and they had recognized each other from the internet and it's like you're building a community i mean those people they probably all felt in harmony with one another in that moment and it's it's so kumbaya and so like peace love like but there's nothing better than like dancing like a goofball and looking over to your left yeah. and looking to your right <laughs> and the people are doing the same thing and you're smiling smiling and one smoking a joint they pass it over to you yeah maybe not at house of blues but yeah at other places definitely for sure (laughs) they get you kicked out for that stuff yeah no but you're building a community and i think that that's the coolest thing is at the end of the day it's not it's not about you it's not about me carter reeves it's about the music it's about the good vibe that it brings and i miss that a lot (laughs) yeah it's not I the same. I think there's a good yeah. way. Yeah, there's a way to make those connections. It's just, it's not the same. And kind of on that note, you actually are playing a virtual event tomorrow, March 2nd, I, I noticed. Yes. So what was that whole process like? Like signing up for this event? And is this your first yeah. time doing one? No, so I've done a few, I guess, obviously in March and April when the world went wild and no one knew what was happening. And obviously in everything just switched over to Zoom. I did a bunch of lives and I did a bunch of, you know, festivals and things like that, which I have mixed feelings about generally across the board. But for this one in particular, a good friend of mine reached out and was saying, hey, we're doing a save the scene for New York City, you know, which to me is near and dear. I lived in New York for four years and played a lot of music there. So was happy to help out. You know, I'm an up and coming artist, man. I want to get people to hear my music and hopefully make some new fans. So it was an easy yes and uh, playing three songs and, it, you know, it'll be good. I'm excited. It would be nice if you got some money from doing that. I assume you're not getting really much out of it. Not for this. It's a charity show for sure. But yeah, it's interesting. Living in California, there are a few more shows popping up now because you can do a lot more outdoors. So I've got some shows coming up. But I think really where the where the racket is, is uh, opening up for someone on tour who's bigger than you and respects you and wants to bring you out on tour. And, you know, that's where you can kind of cross promote, make some new fans and steal some fans. That's where you're not really making money, but you're investing in your future because you're definitely Mm going to see hopefully some of those people come back. Have you collaborated with any like bigger names or artists bigger than you that have kind of helped you get your name out there and promote your music? Yeah, definitely. Collaboration is a funny thing. I have a song with Abby the Nomad, who's a really dope rapper based in Texas. And it was funny. We then did a show together and or we did a tour together and this was right after the split with air so 
I overestimated the amount of tickets I would sell and we underestimated the amount of tickets he would sell. So I ended up playing in front of like 200 Abby the Nomad fans and like two Carter Reeves fans every night. But I was headlining. So like half the crowd would be gone by the time I got on stage. So I pulled Abby aside after like two nights and was like, listen, buddy, they're here for you. Let's let's switch. Let's do this. And then I performed the rest of the tour before him and certainly made made a whole lot of fans from that. So it's funny because you never know how it's going to work out. And Air's first tour ever was kind of the same deal. We were opening, but then they had a switch because we were drawing mm. a lot more of the crowd, which was a, a funny, humbling experience. It is funny how that works. Like the opening act, I always say, pay attention to them. Because exactly oh, yeah. like you said, like they can be an artist that is on the upswing and just has a lot going on that just a lot of people haven't heard yet. Like I remember I went to go see, Tanache is one of my all-time favorite artists of all time. She's great. And I saw her like years ago, I think like 2015, 2016, like when she, you know, was starting to get pretty big. And she had this opening artist named Jacoy. And to this day, I still like listen to his stuff. And I always check on his stuff. I love his music so much. Like I think he's super, super dope. And like I said, he was an opener. So it's like, you don't know unless you know, and you really find something that you like. Well, and openers are funny because they are typically one of two things. Normally, an openers are people that are co-signed by the artist like someone like the artist more often than not makes the decision on who they want to bring on tour with them so the openers are typically a direct reflection of the tastes of the artist so it's almost like if you respect Tanache you're going to listen to Jokoi wholeheartedly because you know (laughs) she would be doing that if she were in the crowd but it's funny where I think openers get a bad name is because they're either that or their local openers assigned by the venue. The venue says, oh shit, we have two hours to fill before right. the headliner comes on. Let's bring in our local guys. And so they bring in local guys that the artist has never heard of or you know, gals, whoever it is, and that the artist has never even heard of. And they're awful. And then the openers suck. And then everyone's like, openers suck. So it's, it's mm. like, it's either one or the other typically, which is so funny because I'm with you. I think openers, they are intentional. They're there to build out an atmosphere and help support a sound and a style. So yeah, you're most likely going to like what you hear. What was that transition like out of curiosity, going from being an air duo to you being a solo artist? It sounds like it was kind of seamless because you kind of had some other stuff going on. But feel free to prove me wrong if you have anything to say. Well, the physical transition was was certainly seamless. I mean, it was just kind of like, all right, well, now we're doing this alone. I think mentally, it certainly was super liberating because a lot of the issues that David and I came across in our later years were just like creative differences and not really being on the same page, not really sharing the same vision of what we wanted each song to be what we wanted each album to sound like. So creatively, it opened up a million doors. I could do whatever I wanted, whatever I was sounding like or whatever I felt like. That's what I could do, which was super liberating and really freeing. But I think with that comes a sense of vulnerability, right? Where it's everything that now I'm releasing was decided by me. It was my decision. It was my my sound selection, my chord progression choices. Like it's all on me now. So it was funny because, you know, if someone wouldn't like an air song, it was easy to just subconsciously be like, oh well, they probably like my parts. They probably didn't like his parts. Like selfish dick. Uh, but then if I'm putting out a song that is 100 percent me, you know, you are getting a 100 percent review of your work. Which is tough, especially if you're putting out wannabe JT style songs. 
but your fan base is expecting you to put out like reggae weed songs. So that was, that was obviously tough, but I think then also, you know, like touring wise, I realized it was pretty difficult too, because I have a lot of energy on stage and it was nice to always have a guy to fall back on to kind of like pick up my slack when I needed to like breathe or drink some water. Whereas when I started touring on my own and realized like, yeah, all right, I'm out here on my own. But again, it's just this balance of if I do see success and I do see this stuff coming back to me, it's a direct affirmation that like what I'm doing is dope. Mm -hmm. But if you don't see that success, it's a direct affirmation toward you that you're not doing great things. So it became a lot more personal and I don't think I expected that, but it's certainly made me a stronger person. So you think it was the right decision for you guys to part ways? Needed to happen for sure. Yes. The answer is yes. He and I are friends. We're boys. We still talk. He's someone who him and he would say the same thing. We're much more like brothers. We became friends in fifth grade and were best friends by seventh grade and inseparable by junior year and senior year of high school. And then worked our asses off nonstop for about four to five years. Pretty much if we weren't touring, we were writing music. If we weren't writing, we were touring. And if we weren't doing that, we were both on like a week-long vacation and like that was it. I think realistically, we just got tired of the road and tired of each other and tired of the constant creative grind. He's the type of person who would go away for two months and then come back with like a treasure trove of ideas, whereas I'm kind of always on and I think our release schedule needed to be always on. So I think he was having a tough time constantly remaining creative. And I was having a tough time, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. But yeah, I mean, it needed to happen, certainly, because I think we both needed to see that the world was not just air. But in terms of success, you could argue that lightning never strikes twice in one place. And, you know, we have such a strong brand and, and such a big community that we built for so many years and a huge touring industry like around air, you know, why give that up? So, you know, you know, it's always the, the playing devil's advocate. But I think as an artist, I needed to go out on my own because right. I hardly played guitar before we split up. I was literally only writing rap verses and then all of a sudden we stopped and i was like oh my god i can produce without like someone else judging me or i can play guitar without someone telling me i suck not to say he did all this stuff i just mean like <laughs> not holding yourself accountable to anyone or anything really opened up like my freedom which built up a whole lot of confidence in mm -hmm. myself so took a while but he and i are good so i think you know, he and I talk all the time and I always say to him, let's go out and let's play some shows just for fun. Let's just like do it. Let's play a couple shows and see what happens. So yeah, who knows? Maybe stay tuned. Maybe it'll be a little, <laughs> uh, little summer reunion tour just for fun. You never know. You never know. Air could be coming back, people. You never know. You never know. When did you first get into music, by the way? Did you kind of grow up in it or was it kind of later on in life? It, it's not like I came from some musical family or like my mom is piano savant or anything like that family is very lax and open and chill about music and it wasn't you know was certainly a creatively nurturing place to grow up i was told all right if you like singing like an idiot to all these songs the way i was just loud and annoying growing up my mom was like cool we appreciate that seems like you like this but if you're gonna do it put a little effort into it and so they like put me into chorus and acapella in middle school and high school and then I did piano lessons which I hated for a while so I would say vocally was the only place that I focused 
because again, my mom would tell you that like my mouth never stopped moving. So if it was going to do that, it might as well be in tune. So they definitely pushed me and they definitely were happy that I was a creative person or am a creative person, but definitely didn't really come from some musical family, but was always singing on the way to school and playing new music. My dad would show me old records and then I'd play new stuff and, you know, we'd talk about it. So yeah, was no stranger to music growing up for sure. So it was something that was kind of inherent in you, you would say? Yeah, no, I was definitely loud and annoying well before I knew that that could be. Before we put you in front of a microphone and gave you song lyrics to sing, you were like, I need to do this. With, I need to do something with this, essentially. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. But you should see some of these. Like, I was in a rock band freshman year until junior year. Actually, half of the rock band became air. But you see those shows we played in freshman year, and I was god awful. But I somehow had the courage to go up there and somehow sounded better the next time I went up there. I think once puberty wore off, like my voice kind of started to fall into place. But there we go. Score one for puberty, man. Score one. <laughs> and like, you know, you could be bad at what you do, but you can also be bad and ignorant. If you're like bad but confident, you gotta have some respect for that. Like you and like like you said, 14 year old you going up sure. on the stage belting rock too. And it's like he's so bad, but he just has so much passion. He's doing what he loves. So like, I can't yeah. really like, hey, you know, like I got give mad respect for that. I think that's awesome. <laughs> no, yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, I think that's also kind of just my mantra for where I'm at now is like, you know, I just want people to see what I'm doing and like respect the grind. Because I've been doing this now solo for four years. And while I've seen varying levels of success and momentum, nothing has reached the amount of success that I did prior in a completely different project. So the easy thing would be quit or the easy thing would be get the band back together and just like milk that until it can't be milked anymore. But it's like, no, I'm hustling and I want this. And I, and I really just like, this is just what makes me happy. And, you know, whether I'm crushing it because I'm doing that perfect hybrid pop song or I'm going a little too far out and doing some weird indie shit. I've been seeing a lot more and more respectful comments and stuff being like, yeah, listen, man, this isn't really my style, but damn, I can't believe you're still out here crushing it. And like, I know that if I don't like this song, maybe I'll like the next one. And it's like, that's all I want is mm -hmm. people to respect my freedom, my creative choices, but also believe in me and see that there's definitely something cool happening here. It just, it's all a process and we'll get there when we get there. And I think that kind of goes back to our whole point earlier, just being honest with your music and just putting out sure. what you feel, you know? And I think people are going to respect that no matter what. The one thing that fans really want from artists that they follow is for them to be honest and just totally share their stories. Because then, like you said, that in turn inspires other people to share their stories. So I think, I think that's the right path to go down. I hope that's my calculated <laughs> plot, my plan, you know? No, like kidding. he's scheming to take over the world everybody just <laughs> just so you know he's gonna kill him with kindness literally yeah really well thanks man carter i really appreciate you coming on with me today before i let you go could you mind just letting people know where they can find you and where they can find your music yeah of course well thank you david i really appreciate it again my name is carter reeves i'm you know, just a musician out here trying to make things work and really, really, really stoked about this song these days that I just put out. But not only that, I think I've got such an awesome story that I've already started to tell and so many more chapters left to be written. So you can find me at Carter Reeves, Carter, C-A-R-T-E-R, -E Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S. I'm on, you know, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all that nonsense. You can find me. Definitely stay up to date on all the stuff I got coming on. But for now, you can definitely expect about a song a month mm -hmm. until uh, the summertime. And 
we'll see where that gets us. And hopefully that'll get us to touring the darn United States and beyond so that we can uh, meet each other in person. For sure. That's well, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for you, man. I really hope everything works out. I think you got a lot going for you. So I wish you the best. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate it. ever use music to escape from reality or do you know of artists that typically use their music to create a reality or have said that they've used their music to create a reality to which they can escape well i think one artist to take note who just did that very recently is the artist known as pink sweats pink sweats just put out his debut album called pink planet it came out on february 12th this year And it's actually Pink Sweat's debut album. He's still a fairly new artist. He's still pretty new to the game. He's put out a few projects so far. So if you don't know him, this is your chance to get to know him. So here's just the facts on Pink Sweat's. Pink Sweat's grew up in Philadelphia in a heavily religious house and was not exposed to secular music until his teenage years. His debut single, Honesty, reached the number 10 spot on Spotify's U.S. viral chart back in 2018 when it was released. He's also born on Valentine's Day. In fact, he just turned 28 years old. And as you could tell from his name, Pink Sweats, the color pink has a lot to do with his artistry. Somebody literally called me Pink Sweats, and I was like, that's cool. And I was just like, I'm going to use that. I didn't put no thought into it. I was just like, this will challenge me as an artist, number one, to win people over. Because I know there's going to be people that hear this name and be closed-minded. But then once you hear the music... I get to win you over. He actually got his stage name from showing up in the studio so much in Pink Sweats. And that's kind of how it stuck. Like he said, somebody just called it to him and that was his name. Didn't really think about it too much. And there you have it. So yeah, Pink Sweat is, or sorry, Pink Sweats is really about letting his music win you over. And like I mentioned, he's still a fairly new artist. So he didn't always start out as a recording artist. He actually started out his career as a songwriter and producer for a lot of other artists. In fact, actually some big names and some of the big names that he mentioned um, were Florida Georgia Line, the big country duo, the rapper Tierra Wack. Here are some other artists he said he's enjoyed working for when he did an interview with The Breakfast Club. I love my boys Drew and Alex, Chainsmokers, BB Rexa, um, Shawn Mendes. And Pink Sweat? main motivation for him becoming a recording artist was mostly due to the struggle with his disease called aclasia. It's a disease that affects your esophagus and how you digest. So he struggled with this disease for about three years, he said, and he talked a lot about how a certain turning point with battling this disease inspired him to become an actual studio artist. And this is his response or his explanation on an up next Apple Music interview with Zane Lowe. And then when I got out the hospital bed, I just felt like a new person. And like mm-hmm. everything that I, my reasoning for not wanting to be an artist was, it was selfish. It was like, man, I don't want to have to deal with people or I don't want to, I don't want to. It's like, it was selfish. But people had always told me like, bro, because I would demo my songs when I write, bro, you should be an artist. Mm-hmm. And then like, for whatever reason, my mind was renewed and refreshed. It was like, I hit a reset button. It was just <laughs> like, why am I not an artist? Like, what if that would have... What if my life would have ended? Would, would I have, have regretted? Would I yeah. and would I have regretted not doing that? Exactly. So 
Then I came to my manager and my team, and I literally was like, I want to do artist project. And they was just like, all right, bet, let's do it. Like, no objections. Nobody was, like, giving me any, like, fight back. They were just like, so what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to do this. This is my vision. Boom. Got me the tracks that I needed. I developed them, and I'm like, okay. I wanted to be broken down. Boom. Send it to my manager. He's like, this is fire. And like I mentioned, Pink Sweats is still a fairly new artist. He's only put out three EPs before the release of his debut album. And they're called Volume 1, Volume 2. And then the last EP is called The Prelude. And The Prelude is the project that really, as its name implies, kind of alluded to his debut album. In fact, there was a lot of material on that EP that is also on his debut album, Pink Planet. And one of the songs from that EP is called At My Worst. And this song he got a lot of traction for. He garnered a lot of attention for it. It became a huge hit on Spotify and streaming platforms. So he's talked a lot about this song and what it means to him. And this is him explaining a basic summary of what the song means. This song is the essence of human relation everybody desires to be loved and truly loved and true love is tested i feel like whenever everything's right how do you know if it's love you know what i mean you really only know it's love when the pebbles are in the roads you know what i mean when those rocks and those potholes true love is tested and that's relationships and life and i feel like our duty to humanity is to love everybody and of course you can't talk about the importance of a song without talking about the time and place at which you wrote it. And that's what Pink Sweats is talking about here. When I wrote this song at my worst, I was in a mindset of being vulnerable and expressing what I feel like everybody actually wants, but they might not say it. We all humans. And I feel like when I'm making music and creating music, it's to try to bring people together through connecting through love, because that's the deepest connection that anybody can understand. You know what I'm saying? We all want it. We all want to give it. You want to feel that shit. He also says how the song At My Worst is not just about portraying the type of love you experience in a relationship, but the type of love you could feel with almost anybody. At that time, I was having a lot of questions about life. You start seeing life change in front of your eyes, and all of a sudden, all the things you ever dreamed are starting to happen. And you just start wondering, is this going to last forever? Like, for me, I always feel like I'm lucky. And how long do you keep being lucky? Like, man, is this going to be the same? Like, these people that's calling your phone, it's like, yo, bro, let's do a song or come kick it or whatever. Is it going to be like this? It translated through love, you know what I mean, through a relationship status. But the reality is it was just about everything. So that's a little, a little introduction, a little snippet into Pink Sweat and what his work is about. And if you haven't gathered already, you can definitely tell that he is an artist that sings about love and likes to sing about love. And he's also talked a lot about in interviews that he wants to reintroduce black music to new audiences. He wants to expose a new signature sound of soul music to audiences that may not have experienced it the same way he has. So his sound is typically very acoustic soul, and he does mix in some other more poppy sounds like funk, disco, that kind of stuff. And I think the best way I can compare him to a more popular artist for people that would know him is I would say Pink Sweats reminds me a lot of a softer sounding Khalid. 
And I think him and Khalid have very similar vocal registers. They have similar styles, but Khalid is definitely a little bit more mainstream than Pink Sweats. And there's obviously more to Pink Sweats talking about love and the different dimensions of love. And he talked a lot about how his own upbringing has inspired his music. The way I show love is I like to give gifts. I like to spend time with people. In a weird way, it's not how I want to be loved, but it's the way that I wasn't loved. My parents never really had money to give me a lot of gifts. And, you know, they was very busy, too, trying to, like, you know, make sure we could be straight. So it wasn't always, like, everyday quality time type stuff. So sometimes I'll be thinking, like, dang, is that why those are my love languages? Pink Sweats is also not shy to say what he is looking for in a relationship. He's obviously very much about the other person, but he knows that every relationship goes two ways. I'm saying what I need, but I'm also saying what I'm willing to do, too. It's like, I need somebody that's going to love me at my worst, but I'm simultaneously saying, you ain't got to worry, because I'll be there whenever. So it's like, to me, just the play on the words, even though they're not like deep lyrics, it's just the concept of... I'm here for you. I need you to be there for me, too. And I know what y'all are thinking. Well, does Pink Sweats have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whoever he prefers? And the answer is yes, he does have a girlfriend. So this is him talking about how he treats his girlfriend and their relationship and how, again, he wants to love others the way he wants to be loved. Bro, I always tell my girl, like, if you told me you just needed me home, like, I'm going to be out. I love people how I want to be loved, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I told my girl, like, yo, I just need you to be home, like, I just, I don't feel it off. Like, I would want her to be, like, so I can't be a hypocrite just because I'm pink sweats. Like, oh, nah, nah, you supposed to jump when I ask you to jump, you know what I mean? So for me, it's like, yo, if you just ever just need me home. I'll be home. Like, it's fine. That's our job and our duty to each other to try to make sure that we have a comfortable existence in this life. And I think Pink Sweats has a really good point that he made while doing this interview here. It's actually an interview with Genius where he's talking about the official lyrics and meaning behind the song At My Worst. Really good clips if you ever want to check them out. They're on YouTube typically. He made a really good point here talking about how in a relationship you should strive for some kind of marriage. It doesn't necessarily mean you're striving to get married, you know, to have an official documentation, wedding ceremony, rings, the whole shebang. He's basically saying that you should be married to your partner in some way, shape, or form. Anybody dating, I just think the intention should be, like, maybe not, like, marriage, marriage, like, whatever... Is typical, but marriage of some sort, like commitment. I think that's like the strongest bond a human can have is commitment to their partner. That's a highly sought after thing when it comes to successful people. They seek marriage because that's one less thing you got to worry about. So seeking marriage and not the way you would think. So let's get back to this album. Like I said, it's called Pink Planet from Pink Sweats himself. So can't go anywhere without getting pink on you somewhere when you're listening to his music. And like I mentioned earlier in the review, I talked about how artists typically create music they feel like is an escape from reality or an escape from certain struggles that they are dealing with and they maybe just want to take a break or not have to deal with it at that current time. And I think a lot of us feel that same way, that we look for art and we look for other forms of music and arts and entertainment as a muse to escape from things that we may need a break from to kind of forget about our worries for a little bit of time. 
And Pink Sweats has talked about how he wants his music to paint a different picture from the world that he is living in. Listen to him talk about that. For me, when I make music, I don't really try to make music that is directly to where I'm from. I would be at church. It's shootouts right outside the church. But we're not talking about that in church. We're talking about God is good. Like, life is going to get better. Like, just encouraging and inspirational things. So when you put them headphones in, what what is my music doing to your life? Like, is it bettering it? Am I just showing you? What you already see, I'm trying to paint a different picture for you. Sometimes you don't feel like nobody got your back, but you might hear this song like, don't you worry, I'll be there. And it's like, dang, it feels like somebody's there, regardless if I'm physically there or not. It's just a soothing concept. So the album opens up with this song called Pink City, and it kind of is the background track explaining the whole concept for this album. It's an homage to his hometown of Philadelphia and him talking about this desire to build a new place of belonging. And it's also the perfect track to open an album because it experiments and showcases everything that is on the album itself, everything that you're going to hear later on. It's very gospel. It has a lot of guitar solos. It has Pink Sweat really singing with his higher register and just experimenting with his voice and whatnot. It's just a really good way to open up the album. And he actually talks about this concept further on the album with this interlude as well, where he mentions as a kid listening to the radio and wanting to escape to those places that he hears through song. So that's kind of the whole concept for this album, Pink Planet, was Pink Sweats talking about him building a place that he can escape from his everyday reality and go somewhere that is basically what he wants it to be and anything he wants it to be. And like I said as well, the album includes a lot of new material, but also a lot of old material. In fact, there's one whole section on the album that includes all of the tracks from his Prelude EP, and the album is divided kind of into three different sections. Each section is marked by a song that's stylized in all caps. So there's Pink City, Pink Money, and Pink Family. The Pink Money is the section that basically is all the songs from his EP called The Prelude. That one actually features At My Worst, like the song that I was talking about earlier that Pink Sweat has gotten a lot of traction for. And there's actually a remix version with fellow R&B singer Kalani on there, which is really good and adds a whole other perspective to a song. I love when artists do remixes with an artist of a separate gender or a different gender because it really does offer a whole new perspective. So I love that he did that and collaborated with an artist like Kalani because I also love her very, very much. And Pink Sweat does have a tendency to sing about the same concepts kind of over and over again. Like, as I've kind of made it clear, his whole thing is about love and showing love and giving love and all this kind of stuff. So a lot of the songs do kind of blend. I don't think he shows his full capabilities as a songwriter or producer because he has other songs that really show his diversity and range that came out early in his career, like Honesty, which is a song that really put him on the map, that also appears on this album. He has this song called I Know and Cocaine and Coke and Henny, which are some other really popular songs among his fan base that I think show a little bit more of his range and more of what he's able to produce as a songwriter specifically. But I would not discredit this album as a whole. I think it's still a fantastic album, and it's definitely something that makes you want to have him sing at your wedding because I know that's something that I want, especially his song called 17, which is on this album. It's track number 11, and it talks about 
loving someone in the same way as you want to for basically the whole basically your whole life like he's basically singing on this song that I want to dance the same groove with you when we're 92 as the same as when we're 17 like I just think that's beautiful and I think that's so so cute he also experiments a lot with his singing capabilities so that's really a staple on this album he sings a lot in his higher register specifically there's this one song called heaven where he really just beefs it up and talks about the you know, whole comparison of being with someone just feels so great that it's not even tied to this earth. There's also a song called So Sweet, which is also backed very heavily by a choir. So showing his gospel roots there as well. And it's very, very intimate talking about how somebody's kiss is just so sweet. It kind of just sends you soaring. He also has talked about wanting to collab with certain artists. And one artist that he mentioned by name is John Mayer. And I think that would be a totally awesome collaboration if it happened, given the fact that Pink Sweats does experiment a lot with acoustics and guitars and things of that sort. One song on the album that I think made me think of that was his song called Magic. And that basically is a track where the guitar just kind of follows his vocals throughout. Like you just hear the strumming behind it, perfectly matching pitch, really well done, really well put together. And I think that was a track that kind of shows Pink Sweat's desire to want to reinvent music and take a song that, if you listen to it, it's a song that definitely could be taken out of context or being more commercial based on what it's talking about. But the actual sound and the actual production of the song is definitely a little bit less mainstream. So I think that's Pink Sweat's whole goal is taking mainstream concepts and lyrics and topics and putting them in a more subtle setting or more intimate setting for people to really fully experience and break down and digest and get the whole helping and not just a serving. He also uses a lot of different instruments. Like I mentioned, I don't know if you consider choirs an instrument, but you could argue, one can make that argument that it is. But he uses a lot of actual real instruments, which I also think is refreshing in this day and age with a lot of music that's populating the charts is a lot of hip-hop trap dance evolution that kind of music that doesn't always use real guitars or harps or pianos or things like that and he has this song called paradise on the album that is very very jazzy and it has a saxophone in the background and it's just also very sweet and subtle kind of like the rest of his music and it's just another case of how pink sweats kind of wants to reintroduce different types of music to newer audiences. So I hope his album actually gains some traction because he's definitely one of those artists to look out for in my book, I would say. He also is just, like I said, I don't think he's always showing the best of his songwriting capabilities on this album, but he does include really catchy hooks, specifically this one song, Icy, which is really funky and dealing with wealth and just basically being flashy. Obviously, At My Worst is really catchy and Honesty as well, which like I said, is the song that kind of put him on the map. And it does sound very unconventional. It doesn't sound like a song that typically would become popular. But his manager, he said, actually didn't like that song at first. And then look what happened there. That kind of was the song that really jump-started his whole career, literally and figuratively, because it was his first single. And then, of course, there are some more funkier songs on the album as well that are definitely worth noting, like Not All Right and Give It To Me and I See, as I mentioned earlier are a nice break from the typical love theme we get from Pink Sweats. He does tie those themes in together on some of the songs as well, like Pink Family is a really good one to listen to. 
It's talking about him protecting his heart and soul. And he plays around as ironically as I've been saying, because he does things with real instruments. He actually plays around with auto-tune, which I was kind of taken back by. And it's this really cool rap hybrid song. Um, I don't know who the rapper is. I don't know if he was credited on the actual track. But this rapper on this song called Pink Family, like I said, has this one line where he says, everything I'm not made me everything I was. And that just really hit with me. And I think that song would be a really, really good closer to an album. And it almost was. It's at the bottom. It's track number 16 of 18. So you could see what Pink Sweats was doing there. Just when you think he's given you enough, he's going to give you some more. So he's an artist, I think, that really gives his all, really creative, and is really trying to meet and fulfill his mission of creating and reinventing old but new music at the same time. So that's Pink Planet by Pink Sweats. Go check it out now and see if you like it. Can I call you, baby? Can you be my friend? Can you be my lover up until the very end? And that's the Rotated Review. Want to join me for the next review? Send in your suggestions to theonrotationpodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at TheOnRotation or Instagram at OnRotationPodcast. Make sure you hit that follow button while you're at it. To read this review fully, see my blog, or listen to past episodes, log on to OnRotationPodcast.wordpress.com. And now it's time to take a look at what popped this week in news. Over 200,000 tweets with the phrase respect Taylor Swift have trended on Twitter following the season finale of the Netflix series Ginny and Georgia. While arguing about relationships, one of the main characters is quoted saying, Why do you care? You go through men faster than Taylor Swift. Swift reacted to the comment tweeting, Hey Ginny and Georgia, 2010 called and it wants its lazy, deeply sexist joke back. The series has only one season thus far. Jamie Spears' lawyer is defending his conservatorship over his pop star daughter Britney Spears. Jamie would love nothing more than to see Britney not need a conservatorship, Vivian Lee Thoreen told CNN this past week. If she wants to end her conservatorship, she can file a petition. This is something Britney has yet to do since the legal agreement was launched in 2008. Spears' next conservatorship hearing is on March 13th. And in paying homage to her hit Jolene, Country music legend Dolly Parton was vaccinated for COVID-19 on Tuesday. The singer documented the moment on social media to hopefully encourage others to receive the vaccine. Last year, Parton donated $1 million to the Vanderbilt University Medical Center to help in pandemic-related research projects, including one related to the Moderna vaccine. Parton received her shot from longtime friend Dr. Najee Abumrad. And that's going to do it for this episode. Feel free to tune in next time when we rotate through a whole new slew of topics. Keep it real, y'all. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.